Gua sobro. Ay. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Third Sub Podcast, episode 175 of the show here. I'm your host Alexander Gange, music joined as always by Samuel Rowan, and this time we got another busy weekend of soccer in British Columbia. I mean, professional soccer was a good weekend doubleheader. Myself personally going out to Vancouver FC, Pacific FC on the Saturday afternoon, what a day for a derby and what a derby it was, the Salish Sea derby uh, over there. And then meanwhile, the next day, uh, you have San Jose visiting the Vancouver Whitecaps. Big day for the Whitecaps with Richie Larea, Sam Adekugbe making their debuts. First MLS game in a month. It was also nice to head out to that game. Although, uh, as we'll dive into, maybe a bit of a different kind of game than the derby the day prior. So, I mean, yeah, just, just a great weekend overall. Sam can't complain at all. I'll just say off the hop that the Sunday was was strange. I know we've complained on the show before about the consistency of the times and we'd like to see them switch it up, but I will admit in some sense I was used to the the Saturday kickoff and the Whitecaps on the Sunday was a little bit of a, an out-of-body experience, but nonetheless, um, yeah, lots to dive into here what went what went wrong against san jose i mean we were, we were chatting on the last podcast about the the blueprint for the rest of the season it was take care of business at home and scrap out points on the road they're they're gonna have to do more than just scrap out some points or at least it ratchets up the intensity a little bit on this seven match road trip so we'll dive into a little bit of the nuts and bolts of that match where you know it was a good performance overall but um, you know, the result doesn't reflect that and that's difficult. So questions have to be asked. We'll dive into that. We'll look ahead to Portland a little bit. Uh, they're not doing too hot at the moment coming off the heels of a coaching change, a blowout loss on the road. Uh, so, so two teams looking to regain some form. We'll preview that one. As you mentioned, CPL ongoing as well, a memorable, um, BC Salish Sea Derby this past weekend, which we're going to dive into a little bit. And then uh, both CPL teams from BC in action again this upcoming weekend. So uh, as always, Alex, I'm very much looking forward to diving into it here on, on third set. For sure. Absolutely. And I mean, let's just dive into it with the, the Sunday match first. We'll start with the San Jose versus White Caps match. And it was just, yeah, an overall a strange one. I mean, uh, the, the Sunday night kick was weird it was weird to be able to dive into other mls games throughout the sunday i mean yeah the canadian classic as well toronto montreal ended up being a very good game i thought montreal went out to nothing i thought it was game over they were dominating and tfc actually finally showed a bit of fight a bit of life scored a couple goals after not scoring in like two months or a month or whatever it was so it was a bit of an interesting game and overall just yeah one thing though for sure i think what was clear was you could see the impact the break had certainly for the white caps because it felt like heading into the break, they were in some great form. They won those two games at home in MLS play, you know, back-to-back home wins, set them in a great position. Then they went into leagues cup and it was three good, 
showings for different reasons, right? Like you go to Leon, good performance against the defending champions league winners. And you, you know, it was a good game. And then you go to LA, wasn't the greatest game, but you get a win, right? You get a road win confidence builder. Then you go to Tigres and it's just another great performance against the top team. And it just felt like we didn't really see that Whitecaps team from either of those games in this San Jose match. It wasn't bad at all. Honestly, I think it's something where in isolation, there was a lot to like from the San Jose game, you know, in the sense that they got the ball into good areas. They outshot San Jose 18 to three. I don't care how, you know, that's something where that's a good, that's 99% of the times when you're out shooting a team 18 to three, that can only be a good thing. And there's a lot that went well. It just overall at the same time, it feels like it was one of those, especially by the eye test, there was just a lot of sluggish decision-making. And I think that was really what hurt the white caps. It was almost like, uh, and that's why I don't know. I mean, we can kind of go into it because you saw it was, there's a bit of debate online. It's like, is it coaching? Is it, was it the players? Was it executing? Was it a bit of all of it? And I mean, certainly you can maybe have some debate about coaching in terms of certain decisions, but at the same time, Whenever you go out, dominate a team, outshoot them eighteen to three. Uh, you know you you're getting the game plan right, and the players were executing the game plan. It just felt like for whatever reason, there are a few moments that define the game in terms of decision making. It was like all those chances you can think of, like maybe moments where you take an extra touch or you take it one time, and then it was that just that one moment from Andres Kubas when he had no reason running in like he did on Cade uh, Cade Cowell. That was never going to end well. Next, you know, you got a 4v3 in San Jose. Well, they did not look like a team in preseason with how ruthlessly uh, efficient they, they put that one away. And that, that was kind of the story of the match. I mean, yeah, if you look at it both in an execution sense and a tactical sense, Vanny Sartini said prior to the match that he thinks San Jose is perhaps the best team in the league at those like lethal moments in transition because of a player like Kate Cowell, right. Who can, can really punish you. If if you reach, he will teach. Right. And, and they, they, they did, you know, and then Abobasi and Espinosa up front, like those guys, you give them a half opportunity. They are capable finishers. They are composed under pressure. That was the scouting report going in. And, you know, for, 95% of the match the white caps did it did a great job buttoning that up but you know a tactical foul by kubas in that moment probably would have served the team well right and uh, it's just those little margins so I, I think in terms of approach like I, I know there has been a lot of there's a lot of scrutiny of Annie sartini for this match in terms of the lineup the usage of some players we can get into the the fitness issues the the player management and how that went into to the lineup we saw. But I thought in terms of like the tactical approach, that was a moment he obviously coached the players up on during the week. It just, it it wasn't executed the way they wanted in the moment and, you know, good players capitalize on that. So I think that's, that's one you're disappointed in, but I don't think you, you look and you think the approach was necessarily wrong. I thought just in general as like a an overall comment, it wasn't a tremendous match by by Kubas or by Alessandro Schopf really either. Like it early in the season, at moments throughout this season, it's felt like, I mean, especially with Julian Gressel, the way he was playing before the trade, it felt like those guys were bossing and like dominating the midfield and other teams just couldn't get into games centrally. And I do feel like the Whitecaps have, maybe lost a little bit of that partially because there's been, you know, leagues cup, there's been 
guys like Ali Ahmed out of the lineup, just a, a variety of rotation. They, they haven't built that same consistency. It hasn't been Kubash shop and Gressel match in match out right over and over and over again. So, um, and they've had to, you know, against a team like LAFC against the Mexican teams, they've had to play more bunker encounter, utilize the wide areas, um, you know, gold and white have become more of an offensive focal point instead of building through the midfield. So, um, I just feel like that's an area where they they have the players where they should try to continue that, not necessarily dominance, but at least kind of the the central area of the pitch being a real area of strength for them. And I feel like they've maybe gotten away from that a little bit. And and th- that was just, yeah, those Kubas and Schopf in particular, if I had to sort of point out some performances where I feel like ah, if you get a big 3-0 win, those are maybe guys that have, you know, real notable showings and it it didn't feel like they really were quite up to the challenge in this one. Yeah. I like that point because I felt like, especially shop, it felt like he had a good leagues cup. It felt like his kind of stock was up after leagues cup. And you're like, okay, this is, this is the version of shop. You want to see, especially with Gressel gone, you know, okay. Maybe it's something where Kubas shop Ahmed, that could work. That could be a, a trio. And, uh, you know, it's something now where you you just you look at what shop showed. He just again he looks sluggish, and it's something where it's a bit strange with him because yeah, like you saw in League's Cup when he finds form, or even earlier in the season when he kind of gets form, he can get into a nice nice rhythm. But it, it's whenever he gets breaks or when he goes like he had the injury or to start the season, he just he can he takes some time to get hit the ground running. It feels like, and it kind of showed in. Uh, you know, in this game that I'm playing two weeks and you, you kind of felt it from shop. Some other guys, you didn't really feel it as much, but shop, you just kind of felt leggy and uh, was running out there. And that kind of hurt the white caps in midfield because I think it's something where defensively they were really, they were fine in midfield other than that one moment from Kubas. And to be fair, I get it. It was off a corner and those, you know, those sorts of transition moments or, or I, don't, I don't know. It wasn't off a corner. No, but it was like off a moment where you kind of, just you, you panic and it was one like you just one split second decision and it kind of haunts you. But I think overall from shop, for example, whereas Kubas, his game was kind of marred by one moment kind of felt for shop. He just never really had any moments. Like he really never got into the final third, never got on the ball kind of, it was just an anonymous performance. And yeah, I think that's something where maybe if it's a road game or you need to bunker a bit off the ball, that's fine. But in a game where you you're up against the San Jose team that clearly want to sit back and, and, absorb pressure you're going to need your midfielders to provide some of that deep creation right that's what julian gressel did so well early in the year and i think just between the midfielders we didn't really see that because vite kind of had to push higher up the field with how deep san jose was sitting you know you had two strikers on the field so they weren't going to drop back so it just felt like it was up to kubas and shop to do a lot of heavy lifting in midfield and they didn't really do all that as well because reposo and and, and larea had to push so so high up the field as well and yeah, I think that's honestly a fair assessment to say the the midfield because yeah, I think ultimately the final third could have been better, but also I think the, the final third, for example, like Larea got a, a lot of great chances. I think he gets a goal or an assist if he's in mid-season form. We also have to remember this is a guy who hasn't played in six, seven weeks, and it kind of was felt in, in the final third. But whereas for guys like Schopf and Kubas, they weren't coming off all that long of a break, and I felt like there's there are ways in which they could have both involved themselves in the game a lot more with shop in particular, having a, a, a quiet performance. So that's a good point from, from, from yourself, Sam. I think the, the two quick things I'll just add to that is that you talk about shop sort of being invisible for better or worse. 
no one has more invisible matches in this team than Alessandro Schopf. Like it's either it's either real standout, like high quality performances where you get really excited, or it is this kind of and, and even I will give Schopf credit, even when he's having these sort of average invisible performances he's doing a lot of good defensive work and i think that that element of his game's actually underrated like he's a smart defender for a box-to-box attack and a guy that's traditionally been an attacking midfield type i think i've been impressed with like his his detail off the ball but he just he doesn't do enough at times to assert himself on the match maybe when the the team needs it and then with kubas like i think it's uh you're always going to get really good defensive performances from him. And yes, he has that moment. Um, But early in the season, you were getting a bit of that deep line progression from him. I don't know. It was just the way the team was playing. And now it feels like he's not been contributing with that as much. So I I don't know if that's something Vanny just has to see if you can find a way to get him involved on the ball a little more because he can, you know, spray a nice 20, 25 yard diagonal ball to to unlock someone on the wing. And I just feel like we haven't seen quite as much of that recently. And it would be be nice to kind of, you know, get it back in Cubas's in locker a little bit. And I guess it's opponent dependent as well, right? It kind of depends on how the other team sets up. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the point with Shop as well. Honestly, I think this performance would have been great, say in a game where you're going up against uh, like a team with a good midfield trio. Like I think this was a game where that sort of performance for a shop is what you want in, in, in a bit more of a midfield battle, but it felt like for the Whitecaps, this game wasn't so much a midfield battle. This was more San Jose kind of gave up the midfield. It was like, okay, let's just sit behind the ball and then let's hit and transition. There's not much of a midfield battle there. And in that case, in those sorts of games, you need your midfielders to be orchestrators to unlock. And yeah, I don't think either of those two did that. And to be fair, that's not just them. Like someone like Pedro Vite as well. He got in his, you know, push for the forward, got into good areas. Nothing was really coming off. And it wasn't just Schopf and Kubas, but also as kind of the deep providers. They're the ones who have to sometimes break that first line, right? Like open up that, uh, like, uh, you know, that's when you're playing a deep block, it's that it's that first ball that's sometimes so crucial. You break the line, all of a sudden San Jose's like, whoa, what's going on? Vancouver's between your lines. And then it's, it's from there. We just didn't see enough of that. Overall, it really felt like that only happened when the ball went out wide, which it's not a bad thing. You just signed, you know, some good wide threats like Adekugbe and Larea got a chance to be very involved. And, you know, I think, again, it's something where in a few weeks when they're up to full fitness, full match rhythm, they're going to thrive in these sorts of games where they can get on the ball wide and make things happen. But also this was something where the Whitecaps should have got more going through the middle, right? I think it's something where you look at San Jose as well on paper, like they're not a team that you're looking at like, okay, there's dominance in the midfield right like even there's just there's not like a number there's not like a, yeah, a dominant number six they're not center backs where you're looking like oh these are guys who could cause problems like they're all very solid and they had good performances on the day but it felt like the white caps just could have got better of that matchup and i was kind of yeah that kind of feels like the the theme that that was there in the sense that not to say that San Jose, again, I think credit has to be given to any time a team goes out and goes to a tough place to play, grinds out a win. But this really felt like a game where it was more the Whitecaps kind of lost it in the way they played versus, you know, it's not like San Jose came in and had a game where it was a 12 out of 10 performance. You tip your hat, you know, sometimes those happen. It's one where really the Whitecaps, a lot of their issues were self-inflicted, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. I will just say some of the, sometimes you see like the 
XG stats from MLS during their match coverage. And often those are like a bit wonkier, blown out of proportion. Like I, I thought that, I think at some point they showed that what the, you know, it was something like two XG for the, for the white caps and 0.2 for San Jose. And it's like, you know, that, that chance that they scored on was at least a 0.4, 0.5 XG chance. So I, I don't know if it was quite as tilted as um, maybe some of the stats bared out, but it was a solid performance. You know, we're, we're talking about how the midfield could have done more creation wise. Ultimately, like they probably still did enough in this match to, that they should have had at least a goal, if not, if not a couple. So that it just goes to show, I mean, again, this is a, a Vancouver Whitecaps team that, that can create chances. They can score goals. Um, it's just a question of ensuring you're getting those results. And then also just avoiding, you know, those, those moments defensively that have been a bit of a problem. I mean, you, you talk already about Richie Lorea and Sam Adekubi, how, you know, their continued sharpness as they get back into match fitness is really going to help offensively. I thought the two of them were, you know, pretty sharp already defensively and, and and created some nice opportunities as well. So, I mean, I, I feel like only really glowing are pretty good things to say about these two. I mean, any, was there anything different Alex than what you were expecting from, from the two Canadian internationals so far? No, I thought it was a good showing. Honestly, I thought I was, cause I saw like surprisingly mixed reaction. Like I saw, I saw Larea was like very much on the extreme. Like I saw some, like he was like, oh, the best player on the pitch. And then I also saw some where like looked incredibly rusty. And I didn't quite see that extreme. If anything, if anything, the Atakubi one made a bit more sense because Atakubi had some really good flashes, but then also I will he, say Richie. I wouldn't say rusty. I would say that simultaneously Richie looked really, really good, but also like someone who just joined the team. Like his his play on the ball, his movement didn't look entirely cohesive with the rest of the squad, which is like entirely to be expected as someone who just joined. So I think that maybe can inform some of the mixed opinion, right? Because like he had these moments where you're like, oh, that's that's the Richie we know from the men's national team, seeing him, you know, play at TFC, play with Nottingham. And then there were also moments where it was kind of, okay, is everyone really on the same page here? But I think that's 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 an easy fix and nothing to really worry about. Yeah, and I'd, I'd say that's a fair assessment. I'd say just the rest because I think especially the, the two shots, he probably gets like the one where he just completely sent it out. I think that's closer on frame if he's in full form. And the one where he cut it on his left, not saying he scores it, but I think he forces a tougher save out of the goalkeeper because it is tough to cut in on your weaker foot and get a shot. And then I'd agree with the assessment about the same page. There were a few moments actually where, funnily enough, one of them was the goal. I think there he cuts it back and everyone's expecting it to hang it back post. I think honestly, that's also one where I think he made Richie made the right decision. I think it's one of those where San Jose is playing so deep and they're, they're kind of a big team in the box. You're not going to really get much with that hang it back post kind of cross. So I think the cutback was the right idea, but Cutbacks obviously are some it of wasn't the, most the right idea. Dangerous. Like if you look at American soccer analysis and stuff like that, cutbacks are absolutely deadly too. If you can execute them correctly, like I can see a guy like Brian white running onto those uh, when they get it dialed in. And that could, that could be a real weapon. Exactly. And it was just, it was unfortunate because he cut it back 
And I, I still remember like it was like for whatever reason, the white caps have six guys in the box and they all made the same run and none of them read the cutback. And next thing you know, cutback fails. It's transition moment goal. Like just, that's just, I mean, you, you feel for Richie in that sense because he made what was a statistically good decision and just no one was on the same page. And there's another moment actually that really made me laugh is they want to, he want to, he want himself to throw in deep down the right side. And immediately he went and grabbed the ball was about to throw it in. And someone's like, yo, 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 like we have a long thrower, like get out the way. Like we, we have to hawk in the box. He's like, oh shoot. Yeah. Okay. Good call. Like, so I think those are little things where as you figure out a team, you kind of know who's, you know, the throw in routines, the set piece routines, the, you know, when to cut it back, when to, to, to loft one in. And so, yeah, no, I think that's a fair assessment. And then, and that will come with time again. He's the one where it's easy to forget because he was in mid mid season form at TFC, but due to league's cup, due to this transfer, due to everything, his last game was July 7th with Canada's men's national team. And he hasn't played an MLS game since June. Like it's something where that's naturally just going to take time to find his feet. And then that's right. It could be, I was impressed because I thought he was going to be the rustier of the two. So I kind of saw Richie, you know, that Richie Larea's first half. And I kind of thought, okay, if you know he looked a bit rusty, looked a bit off. What's Adekugbe going to look like? Adekugbe looked very. He looked almost like sharper in in certain ways. Like he just looked like he was immediately like on the ball. He was like up for it. It was he, he had some good touches, some some good service into the box. That free kick that hit the post for him, it just seemed kind of like yeah, mix of okay fitness, getting used to running again, and I think also for him the big adjustment was the turf. There's a few times where. He looked a bit uncomfortable with the turf, and that's probably makes sense. Like this is somebody who's been playing in Turkey and Norway over the last couple of seasons, playing on some exquisite grass, and that's definitely something that will, you know, that will always take a bit of transition. And I thought Lorey or Adekugbe had some great uh, touches, some great service, and uh, I think for him, it's it's intriguing because I think San Jose sitting so deep didn't help him. I think he's someone where if you can get him as a wing back against a team against a bit of a higher line. Some of those crosses really could have could have done some damage, and uh, I'm excited to see what that could look like. Yeah, I thought. I mean, maybe this is a this is a bad sports radio take, but like this isn't a new team for Sam. This isn't a new in stadium. You know, it's like a lot of this stuff will be familiar. So I feel like that just gives him an ever so slight leg up. Yes, he's behind in terms of the you know the match fitness in comparison to Richie, but also I think when it's been that long out, like what is the difference between <laughs> six weeks and a couple months, right? Like it's kind of, it just depends. Um, yeah. I thought Sam looked really sharp. And as you just pointed out at the end there, the fact that, yeah, okay. San Jose sitting deep didn't necessarily help Sam all that much, but Sam wasn't just the pass to the assist guy. He was making some really dangerous crosses of his own. He was, getting involved kind of creating his own threat which i i thought was was great to see especially so early on in his second stint with the white caps so um I, I think you're totally right that he looked he looked quite sharp overall and and just kind of up for it and uh i mean i think these two are gonna if this is match number one these guys are going to integrate pretty seamlessly because it's it's off to a really solid start at least at least from what i saw and i think that yeah, you know, obviously this this result overall is disappointing and puts some more pressure on the road trip. But I also think that uh, the Whitecaps have to be confident that hey, we got these two guys coming, and it's gonna it should provide a significant uptick in in this team's play. 
And I think we're missing the big factor is that this debut, you get 45 from each of them separate. I think when they're going to be on the field together, that's going to be a huge difference because what, what did we see with LeRae on the first half? Pretty much everything was running down his side. Uh, like Ryan Raposa had a few touches, uh, you know, every every couple attacks. But if I, mostly the big play we saw was Raposa was making late runs and a lot of the ball was actually going through Larea's feet. And then in the second half, a lot was going through Atacupi. So I think what's going to be key is when they're both together and then you have have that dual threat of, okay, you know, the ball can come down either side and you're going to kind of have to deal with that. So uh, I think they'll, they'll only complement each other as well when they're able to share the field. And hopefully that can be against Portland in some capacity. I'm curious to see, you know, how they kind of get eased in. Like the fact they've already both gone 45, right? The next progression is naturally like a 60. So do they both start together and go 60? And then you bring in, you know, a Raposo off the bench, maybe an Ali Ahmed or something, something on those likes. I think it'll be interesting to see what the the game plan ends up looking like uh, against Portland. And but hey, again, credit to Ryan Raposo. He's also making things interesting in the sense that he's making he's you know having solid performance. He's making things happen. He's getting up the field, and not you know it's something where as you know it's going to be out of Kugby and Larea. But especially as you ease these two in, the fact that Raposo is in good form and you could perhaps ride a Kugby in particular with his fitness that you can continue to run out Raposo. And especially now this next stretch is a couple midweek games. Raposo is, I think, going to be a big asset in that regard. And that's a, a good bonus to see the way he's stepped up uh, and responded to this challenge because um, that's always going to be, you know, the hard part of signing two marquee players at your position is, are you going to lose, you're going to lose your spot. Okay. How do you respond? Do you kind of, you know, quiet down, play a little, you know, kind of drop your level or do you keep up your level? And it certainly looks like Raposo has been more of a, the, the the latter, which is is what you want to see from him. That's definitely a consistent trait with Raposo. Like the going into that, I think it was the last season of his first, like his MLS next pro contract. And I remember we were talking about it was sort of like, man, this is this is the year Raposo's got to take a step forward. Otherwise, his future with the White Caps is in question. And then he had a breakout season. Like I feel like you put. Ryan Raposo is back up against the wall and he he's ready for the challenge. And that just kind of seems like the way he carries himself, his confidence, his personality too. I think that that fits. I mean, so we're talking a little bit about how many minutes guys can play. Um, I think that was honestly like that was one of the biggest storylines from this match was no Ryan Gold in the starting lineup, hamstring tightness, the fact that Vanny Sartini decided to play Atacubi and Larea separately each for 45 minutes lots of people questioning that i mean do we just kind of want to we'll just talk about not only the impact that had on the san jose match but also you know is this going to be a recurring thing going forward because i mean same thing with ali ahmed he's had a number of injuries right like at the gold cup uh, lower body injury and then the concussion prior he's not seen consistent minutes for a while I think some people were surprised that Ahmed didn't start I mean I guess I'll just open it up by saying that with Gold, this is like a consistent hamstring thing that's it gets tight it's been it's been going on for a long time and so obviously you want Ryan Gold to start to match and I have to believe that like if Vanny Sartini felt like that was possible he would have started ryan gold so i know that one's difficult but i feel like you know some some trust in the uh the physical preparation staff is required there to make that judgment 
And um, I mean, I mean, I don't know, Alex, what do you think in terms of uh, you, you talk about how Atacubi and Larea will, you know, it'll be a different look when they're on the pitch together. D- would there have been merit to playing those two together at some point in San Jose? If that was for the last 35 minutes, if that was each of them for the first 45 and then a double sub at the half, like would would that have made a difference? Should they have gone in the different direction? What's what's your thoughts looking back at San Jose? Oof, I don't know for the the, the last point. That's a bit of a toughie because, I mean, yeah, uh, I think it depends. I think the fact that Gold wasn't available to start kind of forced your hand in the sense that you kind of had to play between Larea, Adekubi, and Ahmed. You kind of had to play one. And Ahmed's also coming off a knock. You you kind of you don't want to push Ali at a QB again, like you said, like you know, like we mentioned, he's definitely like it felt of the three, Larea was the one to start. So I think that one made sense. I think ideally you have a more like you know, ideally you remove God from this equation, you have more of a fit Ali or more of a fit at a QB, and it's a different scenario. Um, and and then I think ultimately to answer the main question, I think you know what? It was it, it's a good decision to rest Gold. It it might not seem like it in, in, in at first, but look, like we know the state of this turf. We know what Gold's dealt with. Yes, it's something where it does having Gold off the field hurt the level of the team. Absolutely. This is, a, I mean, that's Ryan Gold, right? That's that's the level he is. But also you have to remember for the Whitecaps, you have to look at it long-term. Like, of course, was this win huge for their top four hopes? Absolutely. And that might hurt, but it doesn't, for the Whitecaps as well, a, for them to have a chance at top four, they're going to need to win games on the road. And you'd rather have a healthy Ryan Gold for the seven-game road game, the seven game road trip versus, say, you play him from the start against San Jose. It gets worse, and maybe he ends up missing three to four of those games in the road trip. You do not want that. That will definitely, most definitely hurt your top four hopes. And then also, no matter what happens, when you make the playoffs, if even if it's second place or eighth place, you're going to need your best players to show up. And again, you, you want them healthy in those that, that scenario, and that's going to mean managing Ryan Gold's minute. So I think this is one where it's ultimately safe long-term because they should have won without him. I think that it's something where they had the chances, the defensive breakdown that happens with him, with him or with him off the field, they should have won without him. They made the gamble and they, they, uh, they just couldn't execute their chances so I think honestly it was one where the the gold one I wasn't so I wasn't looking that one as as, as big of a factor, uh, but it is something to to watch out for now because now gold's gonna need to have uh, some big performances on the road. Not saying he won't, but you know if that those if that injury becomes any more of a concern, then you 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 can only start to to wonder, I suppose. All right, so I'm I'm gonna come up with this little game for us on the fly. Um... Little little early prediction. So we'll do for for Gauld, Ahmed, Atakubi, and Larea over under minutes played upcoming this weekend in Portland. So I'm trying to think where to set. So Ryan Gauld, I mean, over under 65 minutes in Portland. What do you think? Um, he ended up getting 30 this weekend. I'd I'd say it's, he he hits the over. You, you managed him and. He looked very fresh off the bench, and I think that's what you wanted. Thirty-five full week of training, short road trip. I'd say he can he can go over sixty-five. Yeah, I think it'll be something where he starts, and at halftime, it's kind of hey, how's the body feeling? 
how how are we doing? How do we manage the second half? And hopefully that means 75, 80 minutes out of golf. Okay, Ali Ahmed, this is an interesting one. Uh, over under 45 minutes this upcoming weekend. Do you, do you think he gets a start? Does he need a longer stint off the bench? What are we looking at here? He also looks great. And I think with him, he's come off that ankle knock. I'd say he goes over because he also didn't look like he was feeling it at all. And I think it's something where it's just, it's it's precautionary. It's your breakout star of the season, I guess you could say. Um, the, the It was one of those where you don't want to push it. But I think based on what we saw, he looks like someone who could go more than 45. And um, I think it's just something he's kind of been managed for a couple weeks now. Like he didn't play in LA. He had a couple of stints off the bench in League's Cup. I, I think they've, they've been managing this one for a while. So I'd say based on what we see, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes over 45. And then the last two all pair together. They each went 45 against San Jose. Will Adekubi and Lorea play more than 65 minutes against Portland? I'd say less. I'd say 60 each. I think that's the gradual increase. I think uh, they should both show that they're fit enough. They look like you know they're going to help the team, but no need to push it further. You got a lot of midweek games coming up too, so I'd say 60 is a good spot. And who knows? Maybe if they show well, there's a if if if. if since there's a midweek game on the Wednesday, I think there is. Um, if I'm not mistaken, if then if they do well, then they could push for even more than 60 uh, that, that next day too, which would also be be huge to have back-to-back 60-plus minute games from them. Yeah, I think you're right in the sense that uh, you don't want to, with the guys that are newer to the squad, you are correct. They play midweek in Chicago. So, uh, you know, that's a, that's not a huge travel, but it's, there's a bit of travel involved there as well. So uh, I think that's interesting. Uh, ultimately, I mean, that that probably spells all four of those guys starting in Portland. So I, I think that's that's encouraging. That will get the people going. And, and ultimately, if you're Vancouver, I mean, we'll, we'll dive into it a little bit on the back end. But yeah, unlike San Jose, you want to you want to get up one nil, two nil early on. You want to jump on a struggling Portland team and take advantage of those guys on the pitch. So hopefully the Whitecaps can do that. The last thing really, Alex, from the the San Jose match, I wanted to chat about a little bit. We we talked about this on previous podcasts. Is the uh, with the prominence and and rise of Sergio Cordova as a, as an impact contributor for this team. One of the options is to play him and Brian White together up front. Now we saw this without Ryan Gold, so I think it's maybe different than your ideal circumstance, but it seems like these two guys continue to not have fantastic chemistry. Like they don't you have two strikers on the pitch, but it's not one of these scenarios where they're playing off each other a lot and combining. It feels like they each kind of do their own thing and you've kind of you've got two outlets, two different options for attack, but they don't they don't really work together all that well. So uh, my question and something I've been wondering for a while, honestly, is, is this even a viable option? I I think my conclusion has kind of been no. Like I want, I want Ryan Gauld playing underneath whoever's going to be playing at striker. And I feel like that just, that allows Vancouver to get their good attacking mids and, you know, wide players all on the pitch together at the same time. But, uh, but this is something Vanny Sartini's tried out on a number of occasions. So do you think this is a, an occasion where just not having Ryan Gold on the pitch, maybe and having Richie Larea new to the lineup, just the chemistry wasn't fantastic. 
in this match specifically, or is it is it more of a greater problem for these two together? I think it's something worth monitoring, and it's a good point because, yeah, it, it, they did kind of occupy a lot of the same areas, kind of didn't really play off each other, kind of making similar runs. And I think the big reason is that you're just you have to realize to put them on the field together, you're sacrificing something. And then in this case, it makes sense. You're you you got injuries. You're not getting an Atakugbi or a Gald or an Ahmed from the start. But those are three guys who should probably start. And I think you're looking, especially if the Whitecaps are going to play with wingbacks, you're going to need to sacrifice someone up front. And I think that absolutely is going to have to be one of the strikers. And I mean, it'll still be interesting to see because if you play wingbacks and you want to play Atakugbi at Larea wingbacks, well, who between Ahmed and Shopf do you play? Do you play both? Is there a way to play both? Um, do you trust a, a Kubas Ahmed double pivot? That that could be a bit of a big ask, uh, because you want Ahmed going forward, and, but also he's got the fitness to to play both ways. You want to get Vita and Gold on the field together, but then, you know, there's already questions there. But I think just especially if you're playing wing back, even if you're playing a four three two one, to get all the the, the creative pieces on the field together, it feels like you're going to have to sacrifice a striker. And you know what? I don't hate that. I think it's something where. White's had his best games kind of on his own. And yeah, Cordova's kind of had his best games uh, either off the bench or starting with someone. But if White's had his best games on his own, you're almost better off either converting Cordova into a super or super sub or kind of just modifying based on the matchup. Like in a game against San Jose, I'd argue this was a White game. Like this is a game where White's had success against San Jose in the past. He's kind of the option you want in the box. Uh, for those crosses for a low block, whereas a guy like Cordova, as we've seen, we want him to play a bit more in transition. You want him to play a bit more in those wide open games. Um, so I'd say if you're looking at this week, for example, you'd probably want a white against San Jose. You probably wouldn't hate a Cordova on the road against a Portland. And, you know, you also probably wouldn't hate a Cordova on the road against a Chicago. So um, we'll see what ends up happening, but I do think it's something worth monitoring, especially because if you're sacrificing some of those other pieces just to fit the two strikers on the field, you're almost better off getting 50, 60 out of one and then bringing the other one off the bench and then vice versa and, uh, you know, trying to manage their minutes that way. Yeah, I think the the matchup point is a good one, especially I feel like Cordova is a really valuable piece on the road because... I mean, we saw that just with their mentality against Mexican teams, right? Where they had to be a little bit patient. They had to sit back and then hit on the break. And Cordova is kind of like a a big boulder. When he gets rolling downhill, it's like, okay, this is dangerous. When he has that space to to get running. I just feel like sometimes Cordova in tight spaces, yeah, kind of having to play intricate attacking football against the low block. It just, it doesn't always go great. So uh, that'll be something to, you know, as we were just talking about with these other players in terms of fitness, how you allocate minutes. I think the Cordova's made the, it a little more complicated at the striker position because he's been playing well. Like before it was just Brian White, it's your job. Don't worry about it. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a good problem to have if Cordova can keep scoring, but uh, something will just, We'll see what's going to happen, and and Portland will be another opportunity to to find out what the Whitecaps can create and what the Whitecaps can create in the road specifically. I mean, a- any final thoughts, really, Alex, on on San Jose here? Are we going to move ahead to chatting a little bit of Portland Timbers? Well, I'd say the timing was perfect. We've been uh, kind of hinting at what Portland, what the Whitecaps might do against Portland. 
So let's dive into it. It is a Cascadia Derby weekend for the Vancouver Whitecaps heading down on the Saturday uh, to go play Portland. Should be a good one. They've already played at Portland this year, funnily enough, with this weird MLS schedule. You play some some teams thrice. Um, so they they obviously it, it was Portland comes up to Vancouver once. The Whitecaps beat them. They then went down to Portland, lost a pretty ugly game. One of their probably one of their worst performances of the year. So not only do the Whitecaps head down needing a road win, they probably want owe themselves a good performance after their last visit to Portland, especially because Portland hasn't really been that good as of late especially since that Whitecaps win funnily enough when they beat Vancouver uh they now are without a new man uh, without a manager they've sacked old manager Gio Savarese after nearly six years in Portland they lost five nil to the Houston Dynamo on the road perhaps maybe again the Dynamo are a good team and maybe this perhaps shows how far the Dynamo have come. They're now in a U.S. Open Cup final, but still that's not a result you ever expect from the Timbers 5-0 away. And unfortunately, Savarese ends up paying the price. And I mean, based on the form, it's well-deserved. They're 12th in the West. They're fair ways out of the, the playoffs. Um, I, I know things are, t- are tight and they're they're technically close, but it doesn't feel like they're close to the playoffs. And then that recent loss to Houston shows that they have one win in their last seven games. So, I mean, yeah, this, if there's a time to play the Portland Timbers, it is now, unless you do believe, of course, in the new manager bounce. But certainly the Whitecaps owe themselves that between Portland's form and the last visit they've had to, to Rose City. Yeah, as you mentioned, Alex, that, that 3-1 win for Portland since then, 12 matches played in MLS, two wins to show for it. Mm. So it's it's been a rough stretch. I think the thing, looking into this Portland team a little bit, feels like we haven't heard a lot from them this season because they haven't had all that much success. They don't necessarily have the the star power of a Diego Valeri, of a, of a Blanco that they, they used to, um, you know, when they were sort of dominating the league and, and making noise in the playoff year after year after year. It's just that this this Portland team, you know, lacks a distinct identity, I think, at this point, right? Like they're not, they're an average defensive team. They've been very poor in terms of chance creation. They're the, they're the worst team in terms of expected goals in the Western Conference. They've also, as a result of that, got the worst expected goal differential. Um, you know, obviously losing losing 5-0 to Houston, uh, losing 4-1 to Minnesota four matches ago doesn't help their cause um you know even you look at a result like they're they're up against port uh not against portland colorado is up against portland and you know those two teams ground out a nil nil result where neither of them created more than uh, more than 0.9 xg so it's just i feel like portland's been struggling to kind of find the way to assert themselves on matches and that's been reflected alex we were pointing out before the show they don't have a great home record this season, right? Like they're they're not doing fantastically at home. They're five, three, and three, which really isn't isn't good enough in the MLS Western Conference. The way that uh, you know you need to really make hay at home. So uh, I think that this is a real opportunity for the Vancouver Whitecaps to uh, to correct a mistake almost instantly, right? Like you you drop three points at home. 
here's an opportunity to earn those right back. Now, what they do have to be conscious of, obviously, is the the classic coach firing bump, right? Which is, you almost wish they'd waited another week or two and that Gio, I mean, no no offense to Gio Savarizzi, who I think is a really good manager and like he'll find work again soon in MLS if he wants it. But, you know, when things get stale, when, when teams are losing, yeah, it's a great opportunity. But the moment they fire that coach, we saw what happened with Vanny Sartini. We saw it in RSL a couple of years ago. These teams tend to go on runs, tend to be a little bit inspired. So uh, the Whitecaps will be hoping that that staves off just a little bit longer. They can slip in a road win before Portland really picks up some momentum. Uh, yeah, I think that I think this is a real opportunity. I mean, just kind of running down the lineup something that stands out to me is that all of their kind of veteran reliable players that, that feel like the identity of the team, uh, whether it's a Diego Chara or like the variety of center back and, and fullback types they have. That's, that's the core of the squad. It's definitely defensively. And it just feels like through the midfield in terms of consistent attacking threats, whether it's been someone like the Brazilian Evander or uh, Frank Bully, who who they've added at, at striker, they've just not been able to find reliable, consistent offensive performances. So in a way, almost like the opposite of a San Jose, where San Jose, there's maybe questions elsewhere on the squad, but you've got a Bobisi, you've got Christian Espinosa. You don't have to worry about those guys. I feel like for Portland, it's almost the opposite. Who can we rely on to score consistently? And it, it doesn't seem like they have a, a particularly articulate answer to that question. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for Portland is they just don't really have an identity right now. I feel like whenever I've watched them this year, and even you just look at their rosters, just kind of and the stats, everything, like this doesn't really scream a team that knows really well, yeah, it's, it's harsh to say to knows what they're doing, but it's hard to say because you can't really say they're a defensive juggernaut. Their numbers are kind of middling. You can't really say they're an attacking juggernaut either. In fact, they're not very good offensively. You look at their pieces. Evander's kind of the main name there, but you look at his numbers. He's kind of bit supposed, he was supposed to kind of be the number 10, the creator, the Valeri replacement. He's better, like he's putting up numbers that are better for like a second strike. Like he generates a lot of shots and shot creating actions and dribbles and stuff, but he's not necessarily generating chances. Uh, you know, guys like Yimmy Chara are, are good players in isolation, but you know, they're support pieces probably on, on the team. Really the way I feel about this Portland team is I look and I'm like, this is probably still a Diego Valeri, you know, Diego Chara, Sebastian Blanco, all that era of a team. The problem is two of those guys are gone and the other one's 37. Like it's something where it feels like they're kind of hanging on to that, that past era. And I think that's kind of why they had to fire Savarese. And I think that's also that's you kind of feel for Savarese in a sense because he was brought in. It was he 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 came in at CF. Remember, he came at such an interesting time because he came what 2018. Caleb Porter had just gone, and he obviously was huge in Portland because he won that title, the first ever title, uh, the MLS Cup title, that is. And he was, you know, the Diegos were, were king in, in Portland. But then they kind of had some quiet seasons. People were like, oh, is Valeri past it? Is it even, uh, you know, is it something where they need to move on? And then Savarese came in, 
revitalized them. They went to the 2019 MLS Cup final, only really lost because they were playing like generational Atlanta United, like Miguel Almiron's like last games in MLS, Joseph Martinez, like peak pre-ACL 30 goal seasons. Like that Atlanta team was a juggernaut. Okay. And then Savarese picks up the pieces two years later, somehow with the same core that people thought in 2018 was past. It was 2019. They thought they were done. In 2021, he goes to MLS Cup final again, loses at home on penalties, like which again, you've pretty much gotten your team as far as you can get if you're getting them the penalties of a final uh, where it comes down to just the spot kick. So yeah, it's something where I think since then it was clear they needed a refresh. And part of that's just on the players they've brought in. Part of that is on Savarisi for not adapting. And it just feels like they need a reset right now. So it's going to be interesting to see where they go from here and what we kind of see. Because another thing we found interesting was that despite Portland, this Portland team, despite having a lot of new faces in it, it's a very old team. Like a lot of guys in their mid-20s, even late 20s, early 30s. There's not really parts of this team where you're like, oh, these are guys you can really build around for time to come. Like, yeah, there's guys who are you know, well, they're not saying that because they're on their, they are in their mid-20s. You can build about around them, but there's not like, oh, okay, this is a young Portland team, or this is a Portland team that a couple tweaks here and there. Uh, and they're good. It feels like this team will will need a bit more surgery than than than, than what we've seen so far. And it'll be interesting to see how they uh, they go about doing that. I mean, in terms of the the squad age, like I'll put it this way, Ranko Veselinovic would be you know a young, exciting player on on the Portland Timbers squad because they just they just don't have a, a ton of youth at at impact positions and even you know, the players they do, like we were talking about a Juan Mascara, he's maybe looking for a move out of Portland. They just, it feels like at some point, as you outlined, you know, they had all this success at some point that roster is going to require significant turnover. And I feel like changing the managers is often the first step in, in that road, right? Like you, you bring in someone new, you figure out how they want to play, how they want to shape the squad. And then you, you gradually start to bring in the players to fit uh, that identity. I mean, we've seen that in Vancouver where they, you know, made significant changes since Vanny Sartini's taken over. So uh, yeah, it feels like a work in progress for the white caps that that has to smell of opportunity, um, especially with Portland, not being that good at home. They just, they have to, again, I think because of the potential new coach bump because of, Vancouver struggles against San Jose, man. You, the first 30 minutes of this match is absolutely crucial. Um, if Vancouver can find a goal early on, that could be demoralizing for Portland. It could be a massive confidence boost. And the Whitecaps have made a habit for the most part of, of scoring, jumping on teams early on. So, uh, you know, Pedro Vite, first minute goal specialist. Uh, this This wouldn't be a bad match to ring up another one of those. Oh, absolutely. And it's, yeah, I think the interesting thing too is Portland's home form. They haven't been terrible at home, maybe in terms of results, but in terms of underlying numbers, they have pretty much an even expected goal differential at home, which is like in MLS, that's unheard of because at home, like you, you have to, uh, you know, you have to be good at home. You have to just because it's such a heavy travel league. And that's it. It's funny because, yeah, I'm looking right now, funnily enough, in terms of points. Uh, Portland is middle of the table in terms of home points. And if you adjust it to points per match, like they're better at home than Seattle, Sporting KC, RSL, some good teams at home. But their problem is 
they don't go about getting the results in a very pretty way. They have the lowest expected goal differential. They don't score a lot at home, generate a whole lot. So for the Whitecaps, take advantage of that because last time, um, you know, these two met, met, the problem is with Vancouver, they were down 2-0 inside 20. Like that's just, you're, you're never, that's never a recipe for success. They had, it took two minutes for Portland to score and, um, you know, the Whitecaps didn't, weren't able, it took them a while to get in the back in the game. Of course, they then made it 2-1, they made it interesting and then, Obviously, it pulled away that from them there, but they can't afford a slow start like that. I think you have to put the pressure, especially because, yeah, if you get a lead, Portland doesn't really generate a whole lot of chances at home. So if you can put them on the back foot, it feels like you could very much win the game. Whereas if you let them score, they're an OK defensive team. And especially at home, as we know, your teams are always better defensively at home than away in MLS, pardon me. And then Portland actually are pretty good at not allowing chances at home. It's really they just can't score. Um, that's that's hurting them. So for the Whitecaps, don't let them, don't put them in a position like they did last time out where Portland grabbed an early lead and it was kind of curtains from that point on. Well, that all lines up perfectly, Alex, for me to dive into my prediction for this one, which is a 1-0 <laughs> Vancouver Whitecaps victory. I think they get a goal inside the first 25 minutes and then just sort of see out the result. And then ultimately that that plays well into our whole idea of you know get galled get ahmed get lorea and adekubi minutes but then you know 55th 60th minute bring in some of the depth guys um you know give someone like a seb burhalter levante johnson some run as well um and, and ultimately you know take those three points into midweek against chicago i think that has to be the game plan and i think that's something vancouver is capable of executing you know even against a a decent portland defense we we know this whitecaps team can create plenty of chances so uh yeah they just got to find a way to take control of this one early but curious curious for your thoughts i mean we were all optimistic about uh the whitecaps against san jose and it didn't quite work out but i i feel like i still stand by that prediction it's just uh you know the outliers from time to time they they do happen yeah i think i think that's fair i think the based on the form based on the fact they just sacked the coach you'd be foolish to bet i know vancouver's road form is horrific but you got to start somewhere and i think this would be a good game to build some confidence and may as well right this is game one of your road trip this is an easy road trip. Like you're going to go to Chicago. You're going to go to Toronto. Those are four plus hour flights. You're going to have to do, you, you know, you're going to Colorado, which yeah, maybe the Rapids aren't the greatest team. That's still the altitude. Like there's NYCFC. Like there's not some easy, there's some tough travels in there. Even if those teams maybe aren't all world beaters, this is one where you're playing a team in terrible form. And look, it's like, if you're flying, it's an hour flight. Like you're not, you're not getting the, the most arduous of, of, of trips. You're playing a team that that's struggling for confidence. They 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 struggled to score at home. Take advantage of all that. So because of that, I'd say two one Vancouver. I think knowing Vancouver, uh, these Whitecaps will find a way to concede a goal and make things interesting for themselves. But ultimately, they're they're doing outbursts. Uh, one thing we've seen about this team is whenever they have games like San Jose where they get shut out and kind of just you know can't score to save their life, they usually do well to bounce back from those. So I say I'd say they have a goal or two in them and. Uh, we'll see new manager bounce for Portland. We'll definitely make things interesting, but I'll, I'll go two one. I think it's something where it's hard to bet against the victory. All right. Well, yeah, hopefully, hopefully the white caps can manage to find a road victory. I think that would, uh, yeah, would just go a long way to sort of 
erasing this past weekend struggles and and starting the the road trip on a on a positive step. I mean, we we sort of outlined our thoughts on what they needed to do on the road trip. Now, I think if it was two, three wins, four wins at best, now they they really do feel like they probably need three wins out of this road trip to uh, you know, to to really match their ambitions of being right up there near the top of the Western Conference. Obviously, they can sneak and skate by with a bunch of draws or, you know, can find ways to make it happen. But uh, I think that has to be the goal if you're Vanny Sartini. Like, if you can get get this win in Portland, pick up two more the rest of the trip, that would be absolutely massive. And I think I think this Whitecaps team with their new additions, if someone like Ryan Gold and Ali Ahmed, can, those guys can stay fit. Um, they're certainly capable. All right, we're going to do a little transition now, and we're going to talk some Canadian Premier League. Man, Alex, this match this past weekend, the Salish Sea Derby, absolute banger. I mean, maybe not like the the greatest football for the full ninety. It was it was a match of so many different moments, right? Because you had Vancouver FC going up early, and then just kind of controlling playing within themselves and early in the second half you're kind of like oh my god they're just gonna they're gonna hold on to this for dear life and that's their only game plan and pacific made some substitutions and kind of opened things up changed the game and you know when when thomas mayor jaguar was able to score all of a sudden it felt like the floodgates opened and pacific was gonna win like 5-1 5-1 at one point because it just felt like they were running downhill and they had so many chances. And then all of a sudden, Vancouver FC plays the Uno reverse card and surprise, we're back in the match uh, and we're going to make something happen. And then obviously some, unfortunately for Pacific, some goalkeeping issues rearing their ugly head. This team's Achilles heel strikes once again but uh all credit to vancouver fc i thought like their their guts to just stay in the match because man this one like after pacific went up to one it felt like this match was i was ready to do the vince carter gif like it's it's over it's over over. and they managed to 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 find a couple half chances and that's all they really needed to get back in it and uh I think, yeah, you just, you know, Vancouver FC's had a tough season, but you can't, I think you can't question the the leadership from, from the manager, uh, the determination of the players who have stuck around, um, you know, key guys like Gabe Batar to, um, you know, just kind of carry the, carry the culture of that team. Callum Irving with an absolutely massive stop, which maybe, you know, in a match that of five goals, that was maybe the moment of the match. Um, you know, you want better finishing from Sean Young as well, but, uh, you know, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I've said a lot about this match already, so I want to leave some of it for you, Alex. You were, you were there, right? So, uh, what were your, (laughs) what were your thoughts in the house? Yeah. I mean, you summed it up pretty well. I mean, uh, interesting to see uh, the game, uh, you had a lot of the same assessments on, on the game from afar, which is always interesting to, to see, the contrast but yeah i think that was pretty pretty bang on and i think what was key is that this vancouver team loses this game two months ago or 
um they don't even put out a performance like this two months ago like it was just such a professional performance like they had a phenomenal first half like the goal was so well worked so deserved they were the better team and then the second half look pacific responded that's what pacific does this is why they've been in first for much this season they're a talented group and pacific just kind of took over the game and then then but what i liked was vancouver kind of weathered that in the sense that yeah pacific scored two goals but Vancouver's like, you know what? We're not going to just sit down and fold maybe like we could have earlier in the season. They went after it, and then they kind of almost caught Pacific by surprise. I think Pacific, when they went up 2-1, they kind of thought it was game over. They're like, ah, last place Vancouver. What are they going to do? Push back. Like, you know, let's save our legs a bit. And then all of a sudden, like, Vancouver was right back at them, and they score. And it was like Pacific almost looked shocked. They're like, wait, what? That was on the cards? Like, they kind of thought they were going to cruise. And then – they almost felt the pressure of that. Like, I wonder if that Sean Young goal, if that goes in, if it's still a 2-1 game. Like, if Pacific's making it 3-1 versus the, I don't think they expect it to be in a 2-2 game. And I think that was a surprise that just there was several moments where Pacific got caught by surprise. Like, even in the first half, Pacific was shook by Vancouver's midfield setup. Like, it was a phenomenal, like, they tweaked it tactically and went for more of a 3-4-3-3 instead of this 4-2-3-1. And Vancouver was able to go up 1v1 and match them in midfield player to player. And it, it frustrated Pacific. Like Manny Apriso and Sean Young barely got in the game in the first half because of that tactical tweak. And then they adjusted, but then they, they they were surprised again when Vancouver fought back. And I think that's a credit to Vancouver. They've been playing some really good soccer, some football as of late, but they haven't been getting results. That's the the really the been... I think it's been something like score aside, they've been playing well. And it's nice to see them finally get rewarded for that with the performance where, yeah... Maybe it took a bit of a an Emil Gazdov blunder that he'll want back for them to get it over the line. But overall, I think that's nothing less than what Vancouver deserved. And I think that's that's been key to see because they could have easily been sitting down at this point of the season, given up, focus on next year. But look, even if they don't make the playoffs, because let's be real, they're probably not going to. You, you mathematically have to still give them a chance. But these are the sorts of wins that will pay off next year because they're starting to build a core of guys that will be around for next year that you can look to. And I, I think it's huge that, you, you know, that's that's something to, to even just to like again about their their overall year that, you know, they obviously didn't like some of the signings they made off the start. And the fact that they've been clo- slowly clearing out some of those original signings and already bringing in new faces like this looks like a team that's serious to to want to compete uh, early. But and I think results like this are going to help them, you know, get to that goal and we'll, we'll see what they can do. I think now the big, uh, big thing is, can they build off this? They've, it's now their fourth victory. Every victory they've had, they've kind of followed up with, you know, not winning for a few. So can they go out and either win right away against York and go make it back to back for the first time? Or even if they don't win against York, say it's a draw or a loss the next week you're at home against Ford. So can you get back to back home wins or can you get something of that? Like to build a bit of momentum. I think it's fantastic in terms of Vancouver FC. This feels like the real first memorable statement win that will like span beyond this season. Like I can see people that, you know, become Vancouver FC fans or already Vancouver FC fans thinking back to this match and going, that was kind of, you know, if this team's able to make a jump forward in a significant way in year two, that's, a moment they can look back to and go, this was, this was where it all began or a bit, a big, a big step in the right direction. So I think, I think that's very encouraging, you know, both of these 
BCCPL teams being good is 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 obviously good for business. So, um, you know, I'm I'm definitely invested in hoping that that is the case. Now, in ter- terms of the real title contender this season, the CPL and Pacific. I mean, you know, other than the goalkeeping, it's relatively difficult to poke too many holes in in their squad. But the one thing for me, Alex, I mean, I don't watch every Pacific match in in the depth you probably do, but it still seems to me like they have a little bit of, maybe this is too harsh, but like a bit of an Easton Ngaro problem where he still just doesn't, he still just doesn't really fit the team. Like it, it feels like you've got this, you know, you've got this target man imposing striker up front. And, you know, at times they, they look better when they they bring subs on when they, they they set up in a different way attacking wise it doesn't feel like they've been able to get the most out of Ngaro I just I guess I'm curious for your thoughts on like the fit uh, we saw this early in the season where maybe it took a little bit of time for him to integrate but I feel like it's just it's not fit like a glove it's maybe not you know you're probably hoping if you're Eastern Ngaro that you're lighting up the league having a massive year on a really good team and I feel like it's just never quite gotten off the ground the way they wanted it to yeah well i think for pacific and attack in general it just feels like they don't have a finisher like a main finisher up front like they don't have a guy up front if that makes sense because i think they definitely have difference makers because like i mean Eamon Salouf, the numbers speak for itself he's been excellent manny aparicio's is always going to be manny aparicio's team josh hurd there's always going to be Josh Hurd's team. I mean, he's the captain. You feel it. You, he was someone who was, by the way, I don't think they lose this game if he was on the field from with this because he obviously was suspended. But also, it just feels like in key moments, they kind of don't have that main option that's going to step up and 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 take them, if that makes sense, like in terms of finishing. And I think that's something worth noting because Isanangaro's he's had good moments, but it's almost he's almost been better off the bench uh, because. I think teams have kind of realized that like, okay, when you're playing Pacific, you sit behind the ball. And I think that hurts Ongaro because look, despite Ongaro's size, he's always been someone who kind of, he thrives making runs in behind and shooting with his feet. Like he's not someone who's going to bruise and bully you and be a target man and get on the end of crosses. And I think a lot of teams naturally just sit back against Pacific because they're so good on the ball. And I think Ongaro maybe isn't always the profile they need of a striker up front. Whereas when it was Alejandro Diaz, he made a lot of those sort of sneakier cut in one way, go the other, like the more Chicharito type Fox in the box poacher number nine finishes where that's not really on game. On is a kind of stretch getting behind. And that's why on has done great off the bench. For example, there've been games where it's one nil, two nil, the game opens up and on comes off and absolutely feasts just because he's, you know, you give him a sp- space. He's very talented with his feet. And that's kind of almost slept on because he's six, seven. You, you look at him, you expect size. You think and... it's going to be Andy Carroll header merchant, but that's really not the, I mean, uh, Christian Jack did a great thing after the match um, of all the crosses played into the box and how Ongaro, you know, the, the service wasn't fantastic either, but Ongaro also struggled to sort of judge those. And yeah, and he tends to make nice little like faint runs you know, and, and and it's pretty clinical with the ball at his feet, which again, is just weird for someone that size because it's not what you're expecting. Well, exactly. And I think because of that, he hasn't always fit as a starter. And then Adonijah Reed is in a similar boat where he just always, he looks good. Like Reed just, he's one of those guys, he just does a lot of good little things on the field, like great touches, gets into great areas. 
but he you know it's hard to tell to say that he's been the main finisher up front like he's almost kind of been best where he's playing off of someone like kind of bringing you a bit of that connectivity so then you're like okay who is that guy to come up and kind of step up and score those goals in those sorts of moments it's a good question because ultimately i think this specific team's like this specific team's legit i think they've been the best team in the league this year no doubt just in terms of like expected points for example they're running away with the league really if they had league average statistical goalkeeping and you know they they would be running away with the league and just is is something where as as we've also seen like other teams have have done a better job of kind of like almost masking some of their strengths and weaknesses like Ottawa after a slow start they know what Ottawa is we know what Ottawa is right now this is a team that can can score in transition can defend well and that's why they've pushed up Cavalry ditto like Cavalry's advanced numbers actually aren't that great but they defend extremely well they make life easy for Marco Carducci and then at the other end they have Ali Moussis, they have Meyer Bevins, they have Willie Akios now, guys who can just pop up in moments and give you magic. And uh, for, for Pacific, it kind of feels like when they've been at their best, everything's clicked, they're a juggernaut, it's it's a machine, but also as we've seen, sometimes that lack of a main finisher up front, and sometimes those those defensive lapses have, have, have hurt them, and that's why they currently sit second when uh, all the numbers suggest that this should be a team running away with the, uh, the table. Yeah, no, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, it's just something that, man, for the talent in that squad, you just you feel like they should have a natural finisher, just kind of, you know, making good on all those all that dominant possession that Pacific has had this season. So, uh, yeah, it's it feels like they almost they have such a variety of different attacking options, but just not one that they can rely on super consistently. So it's uh yeah, hopefully Pacific can iron out a couple other things because overall really enjoyable team to watch play football and, uh, and, you know, hopefully right up there competing as they should for the CPL title uh, come the end of the season. Looking forward to this weekend, both BC teams out on the road. Uh, you mentioned, Vancouver FC against York and then Pacific against Cavalry, who you just mentioned, uh, you know, can, can they defend against Pacific? That will be interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, you're just maybe rapid fire, Alex, your, your thoughts on, on those matchups and how the BC teams might fare on the road. York's an interesting one for Vancouver. That's obviously where they got their first win all the way back in, what was it like match day two of the CPL season on the road. Um, so I'll be intriguing. York's actually not been very good at home this year. They've actually have the worst home record, or if not one of the worst. Um, so that's going to be a huge chance for Vancouver again, to get back-to-back wins, to get another road win, um, to, to build some consistency and, you know, mess up the CPL table a bit because York's hanging on right now. They need those U21 minutes. They're not, their forms, no di- nose diving the wrong way. A loss for York, given that they've kind of played a game pretty much more than everyone except Forge, could very well not spell the end of their playoff hopes. But with six games to go after this one, like they would be in a very rough position, just especially with the form of everyone in front of them. So I think it'd be a good game for 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 Vancouver. York will give them everything, you and but they're also going to need U twenty one minutes. So could maybe Vancouver take advantage of some of that inexperience because it's hurt York at times in recent weeks. So they've had to ca- catch up on that. As for Pacific Cavalry, that's just going to be box office. Those two teams always have great tactical matchups, entertaining games, open games. 
big one for Pacific. They've actually never won in regular season play in Calgary in CPL history, but for, they also have a bit of a knack of big games in Calgary. They beat Calgary in the semifinals of the 2021 playoffs en route to the, the North Star Shield. They also beat Calgary in the Canadian Championship at, at, at Spruce Meadows before, but never in regular season play. And this feels kind of like a, not a must win for Pacifics or on the road. I think a draw would be a good result, but man, if you could win, I think that would they win this game. This is something where you could see them lifting the title at the end of the year. Whereas if they lose and it's maybe a bit of a, a rough performance, you kind of feel like it's going to be Cavalry or Ottawa's title uh, to lose based on their form. So it's going to be a very good test for Pacific. I think it's the Pacific's been elite on the road, excellent on the road in ter- terms of results and numbers. And I, I don't think that's going to change after the Vancouver game. Pacific had all the XG and you know everything in that game. They just couldn't finish and they allowed some sloppy goals. So go out, have a good reward performance against Calvary, who's very good at home. And I think this could set the table for uh, what the next uh, eight, seven games looks like for Pacific. I feel like with Pacific and Calvary, this is the, it's not must win, but it's maybe the difference for Pacific between like undisputed favorite versus dangerous playoff team that everyone is wary of, but, you know, Calvary and Forge and those other te- at, at Ottawa, those other teams are kind of up there with them. Like if they can go beat Cavalry at Spruce Meadows, sort of cement that front runner status, I think it would be would be massive. And uh, yeah, either either way, will be really interesting. Looking forward to those matchups. Looking forward to the Vancouver Whitecaps on the road in Portland. Portland um, always such a great environment, great supporters, great stadium. Uh, yeah. Um, I've kind of, you know, some nostalgia for trips down there. Uh, and yeah, shout out to anyone who's listening that might be making the trip. If you're doing that, always fun for a little bit of Cascadia flavor. Alex, a- any final thoughts, any news and notes we need to add here before we sign off? Or uh, if not, I'll just, I'll kick it over to you. Yeah, I think, well, no better place to end. Enjoy the the weekend of footy. Bit of a strange one, the lower mainland, because there's not really any soccer. Very, very quiet. Like there's ca- Whitecaps two play at BC Place on Friday, I think it is. But other than that, like it's a Saturday and Sunday with nothing. Pacific's away, Vancouver's away, Whitecaps away, League One BC done. No League One Canada Championship, you know, interprovincial championships. So uh, enjoy, I guess. I mean, not to say well we won't be watching, but uh, I guess maybe uh, for once you can pull out the iPad if you. You can watch on your balcony with the sun, or you can, you know, if you're you're doing a little cottage trip, you can always, you know, watch watch on the lakefront or you know whatever sort of setup you have, which we haven't really, you know, you haven't been really really able to do though over the last few weekends. But hey, it's uh, enjoy it, and yeah, I mean the next weekend is going to be a huge one. I mean, Vancouver, the Whitecaps are away for a while, so if you if you want to watch the Whitecaps in Vancouver, well, you're not going to be able to. So that's that's. Uh, <laughs> that's just the reality but the next week and i think pacific hosts valor and uh, vancouver hosts forge and back-to-back games like saturday sunday so that's going to be another great weekend so uh lots to look forward to on the long weekend uh for for that but anyways enough uh schedule talk you can find me on twitter at alex gonge rizik uh and on, on instagram slash uh threads at agr on the case and uh just yeah make sure to to, if you've enjoyed the podcast make sure to leave a review or a a, you know a a five-star rating on spotify or apple if you have enjoyed it it is much appreciated as always we do 
uh, just we just love having the support and uh, the, the of the listenership continues to be excellent. We cannot complain. We are and we are beyond grateful that every week you guys continue to show up in grand numbers. So as always, would love to thank you for that. But yes, that's uh, where you can find me. And uh, I'll throw it to Sam, who will let you know where to find the podcast uh, if you are curious, as well as where to find his excellent work. Yeah, you can find me as always at Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter at thethirdsub.ca. You can find our podcast at the third sub. Or, um, well, you can find the third sub at third sub on Twitter, third sub pod on Twitter as well. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, check out our articles, our, our written stuff on the website. Um, now that we're back in the thick of busy match weeks, lots of pre and post match content for you. Uh, so stay tuned for that coffee with the caps as always andrew doing a great job mike rice dipping in with some cpl content as well so uh yeah check out the site hope you've enjoyed the podcast hope you're um yeah enjoying all the third sub content out there and uh we'll chat again soon